Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Islamic History Podcast, and this is your host, Mutaki Ismail. This is going to be a final analysis or roundup and some closing thoughts on the season that we have just completed. So I want you to know that, first of all, this is uh, recorded in December 2020. And if my planning is correct, you should be listening to this, inshallah, in April 2021. So many things may have changed between then and now, or now and then. It depends on how you look at it. Be that as it may, let me just um, catch you up on some things in the Middle East from where we left off at. So the last episode, episode 13, ended off around 2017 with the, um, fairly, the defeat of Daesh, or ISIS, or however you want to call them, in Iraq, for the most part. And so... It may seem as if it's a happy ending. Obviously, it's not. But just want to catch up on what's happened since then. So, of course, 2017, the Iraqi president declares victory over Daesh. In 2018, the, um, well, of course, before we get to that, in 2017, Donald Trump becomes president of the United States. In 2018, May of 2018, he moved the U.S. embassy in Israel, the Israeli the U.S. Embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, basically acknowledging Israel or acknowledging acknowledging Jerusalem as Israel's capital. A few months after that, in July of 2018, the Knesset passed the nation-state bill, which declared that Israel was going to be a Jewish state. Uh, not sure how much that really plays into our overall discussion. Just something in my notes I want I wanted to share with you. The following year, in July 2019. 138 of 193 members of the UN have recognized the state of Palestine, which is a good thing, but it's um, not much practical benefit as of right now, but it is still a move in the right direction for the Palestinian cause. So as it stands right now in Palestine, as at least as far as um, December 2020 is concerned, there are um, the right wing parties in Israel have have passed several laws that suppress those left wing um, nonprofit and humanitarian organizations that supported Palestinian rights. If you remember in the previous episode, I mentioned several organizations. Well, the Israeli uh, government has passed laws that suppressed a lot of them. Um, I don't have the details of that. Just once again, something in my notes I wanted to share with you. Israeli Arabs now make up 20% of Israel's population. I don't know if they're called Arab Israelis or Israeli Arabs. These are basically Arabs who are Israeli citizens. just want to give you a little bit of information about the hierarchy of Arabs in Israel slash Palestine, however you want to call it. On average... Israeli Arabs, these are once again Arabs who are Israeli citizens, they are the poorest of all Israeli citizens. Okay, so they're on the lowest level of the of um, Israeli society. Nonetheless, they are still doing much better than their Palestinian brothers and sisters in the West Bank or Gaza. And in fact, Palestinians in the West Bank are doing much better than the Palestinians in Gaza. The Palestinians in Gaza are living under siege-like conditions. 
is what many people have termed the largest open air prison in the world. And the United Nations has issued a report stating that Gaza will become unfit for human habitation by 2020. As I mentioned earlier, I'm recording this in December 2020, so that that deadline has pretty much passed. The West Bank, as of the recording of this episode of the season and the series, still being carved up by walls and roads and bridges. And as I mentioned before, these new transportation networks, whether they're tunnels, bridges or whatever, they pass through traditional Palestinian territory and Palestinians are not allowed to travel on them. Even in the worst Jim Crow era of the United States, even in the worst of Jim Crow days, black folks, black folks would still drive on the roads. So this is something that's really inhuman to be doing to another group of people. But be that as it may, that's what it is for now. Um, regarding Fatah and Hamas, as of the end of this year, 2020, they're still not working together and they still don't really trust each other. But one thing that has changed uh, recently in the past three or four months, several Arab countries have normalized relations with Israel. And each country has different reasons for doing so. For the Gulf states that have recognized Israel or normalized relations with Israel, many of them did it as a way of, I guess, protection or defense against Iran. That's like the boogeyman of the Middle East right now is Iran. So Syria, uh, let's talk about Syria right now since we're here. Bashar al-Assad is still in power in Syria. The U.S. has mostly withdrawn. I don't know if things will change by the time you're hearing this in April 2021, inshallah. But right now the U.S. is kind of getting out of Syria. And with the U.S. leaving, this has allowed Russia, Turkey, and Iran to fill the vacuum. And Russia and Iran are pretty much propping up Bashar al-Assad, allowing him to stay in power. Uh, Turkey is also um, occupying certain parts of Syria, but Turkey is not necessarily propping up Bashar al-Assad, at least not that I know of. Turkey really wants to prevent the Kurdish nationalists in Syria from crossing over or destabilizing parts of Turkey. Syria is not strong enough to push Turkey out, so they're going to stay there for as long as they as they are able to. Now, I was talking about the countries that had decided to normalize relations with Israel. The UAE, I believe, was the first one to do so. And the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, their reason for doing so was to, I guess, um, have a stronger position to prevent or negotiate with Israel from annexing all of the West Bank, which is what Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's plan was to do. He was planning on annexing all of the West Bank. Now, I don't know how he plans to do that and not include the Palestinians as, I don't know, people or as citizens of Israel. I don't know how, he's, how he was going to do that for the time being, at least at the time of this recording. That may change once again by the time you're hearing this. By the time of this recording, Benjamin Netanyahu has paused that move to annex the West Bank. And we'll see how that turns out. But the UAE also normalized relations with Israel because it wanted, basically, they have a common enemy, Iran, once again. The UAE government believes that their interests align more with Israel than with Iran. Bahrain is another country. I believe Bahrain has a large Shiite population, so there's probably a lot of Iranian influence there also that they would like to counter. Bahrain has also 
normalize relations with Israel and almost certainly to counter Iran as well. Morocco has also normalized relations with Israel, but for a totally different reason. For one, Morocco has a large Jewish population, so I kind of kind of understand the government being more inclined to do so. But another thing is that Morocco and I believe Algeria has have have had a lot of disagreement or dispute regarding Western Sahara. It's a little piece of land just below what is modern Morocco. And in return for recognizing Israel and normalizing relations with Israel, the United States recognized Morocco's claim to Western Sahara. Not saying it's good or bad, it's what Morocco decided to do for themselves. I'm just giving you the facts. Um, Sudan, they normalized relations with Israel as well. Uh, Sudan has had um, a bunch of sanctions on them for decades, going at least back to the 90s. And so Sudan had Sudan needed to get from under these sanctions. Sudan has also been on the list of nations that sponsor terrorism. And so in return for normalizing relations with Israel, Sudan got a lot of these sanctions lifted and got off that list of states that sponsor terrorism, which Sudan believes it needed for its, its economic development and so forth and so on. So now, for all of these nations, none of their populations agree with this. At least, I'm sure there's a small faction of them. But by and large, for all of these nations, the people within them do not agree with the governments for taking these steps and normalizing relations with Israel. It's not yet clear how any of this will affect the Palestinian cause or what sort of impact it will have on the prospect of a Palestinian state. We don't know. Now, as far as the Palestinian Authority is concerned, Mahmoud Abbas, he has uh, spoken out against it, but he has also told the Palestinian Authority not to be overly critical of these moves. Well, first, let me go back some, just so you understand now. One of the reasons people, some people are upset about these nations normalizing relations besides the obvious religious and ethnic reasons. These nations would normalize relations with Israel once they provided a Palestinian state or or gave a Palestinian state or allowed a Palestinian state, however you want to call it. But now these nations recognize Israel without getting the, Pal- the Palestinian state. So that's why many people are saying that they're giving Israel what it wants without giving, getting anything back in return. Yeah, I tried to explain this in the beginning of this series. And hopefully also with the um, with the theme of this series being Surat al-Fat uh, from the Quran, is that many people protested during the Prophet's time, so Lord Son, many people, many of the Sahaba were upset about the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. On the face of it, at that point of time, it looked like the worst thing in the world to them. They weren't getting to visit the Kaaba. They weren't going to make Umrah. They had given so many concessions to the Quraysh, to the pagan Quraysh, and they weren't hardly getting, the Muslims weren't hardly getting anything in return. It just seemed like the worst thing in the world. Now, I understand the Prophet received guidance and revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, of course, he knew things that we would never know, and he knew things that his companions did not know. We don't know how these things are going to turn out long term. So these are my uh, closing thoughts. I don't really have much more to say. I do hope for a, Palest- a two-state solution for Palestine, inshallah, but I'm not really hopeful, hopeful that that's going to happen. But, you know, stranger things have happened in our lives, so who knows? Allah knows best. 
There have also been many people who have suggested a two states, I'm sorry, a one state solution. And before I go on, I want you to understand the reason why I don't believe a two state solution is going to happen. If you follow me on Instagram, not me personally, follow Islamic History Podcast on Instagram. I posted um, something about this um, a couple of months ago. But basically, the two state solution was never an idea from Israel. Israel was never going to allow a two state solution. Uh, that's something that the Palestinians hope for, the rest of the world hope for, even the Americans hope for. But Israel was never going to allow a two-state solution. That was not going to happen. It's too much of a security risk for Israel to allow a two-state solution. They were never going to do that. I can't say they were never. Definitely within the past 20 years, that was not going to happen. Maybe in the 1990s, when Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin were negotiating, maybe then it might have been on the table. Definitely since the second intifada, no way that was going to happen from Israel, not not um, willingly, at least. And so all this talk of a two-state solution is really just politics. That Israel would never allow that. And Benjamin Netanyahu has stated as much. It was, it was not going to happen. I, I suppose the Palestinian Authority was hoping the world or the United Nations or the United States would force Israel to give a or to give them a two-state solution. But... I don't know, that hasn't happened. That hasn't worked in the past I don't know, 80 years. I don't expect it to happen now. Regardless of what they say in the public, in, in, the, um, in the media, in public, Israel might say that they, that they hope for a two-state solution or certain Israeli politicians might call for it, but I don't think they would ever allow it. Many people have, um, I'll, say, I'll say some people, have also suggested a one-state solution, basically giving Palestinians Israeli citizenship. I don't know about that one. I don't know how Palestinians feel about it. Uh, that's a hard one. I don't know. If, um, I really don't know how Palestinians feel about being offered full Israeli citizenship. Eventually, like I said, if Israel does go forward with annexing the West Bank, what is it going to do with all of these millions of Palestinians living within those borders? I mean, eventually, Arabs or Palestinians will outnumber Israelis or Jews in Israel slash Palestine is going to happen unless there is some really strange thing that takes place. They're going to outnumber Jews at some point and probably within the next 50 years. What happens if they, I don't think Israel will ever do this, but there are some Israelis, mostly left-wing Israelis, um, who don't really care to have Israel remain a Jewish state as like what it is right now, where it has to maintain a Jewish majority. There are many people in Israel who don't really care for that and don't really and would rather see a multicultural state that is just called Israel, but you know, religion and ethnicity has nothing to do with it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that turns out. I, I don't think the one state solution is really um, going to happen either. Allah knows best. I, I don't think that's going to happen. One thing that is happening though is that global opinion is slowly turning against Israel, Israel's policies towards the Palestinians. I think most nations still criticize Israel, or at least many nations do criticize Israel for its um, treatment of the Palestinians. Many Muslim nations still do not recognize Israel, but the way things are going right now, I have a feeling that's going to just change eventually. There will be still be some holdouts, maybe Pakistan, maybe a few others, but... Obviously, Iran is going to be one of them, but eventually, um, 
I have a feeling most of the Muslim world is going to eventually recognize Israel and try to normalize, normalize relations. But the thing is that most of the world does criticize Israel, even the governments, the United Nations, much of the EU, um, definitely the Muslim world does criticize Israel, even though you can normalize relations and still criticize a country for its treatment of certain people. That's not, there's a pop, there's a way to do that. So they still are against Israel or at least criticize Israel's treatment of the Palestinians. And that is becoming more and more prominent now. And with social media and videos and people are, don't really trust mainstream media anymore and the world is becoming smaller and people are, you know, Muslims are becoming more visible in many, in many respects and our opinions are becoming more prominent and starting to slowly creep through the cracks of mainstream media. People are starting to realize that what they, the story they've been told about Israel is not 100% true that Israel is not 100% innocent in this whole conflict, and that this is not all about just Palestinians just want to kill a, a bunch of Israelis. It's not all about that. And that's starting to become more true. And younger people are not accepting the, um, the Israeli story, the, the Israeli propaganda line, hook, line, and sinker, hook, line, and sinker the way pre previous generations have. One example of this is the fact that Ilhan Omar, Representative Ilhan Omar, and I don't I don't agree with a lot of things she says. I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to criticize another Muslim on my own podcast. So I'll keep my criticisms to myself. But the fact that Ilhan Omar can openly criticize Israel and get reelected is a pretty big thing. That is something that would not have been possible 10 years ago. And say what you want about Ilhan Omar. I respect her for that. She has criticized Israel and she got reelected and that's a pretty big thing. Now, of course, they did label her um, anti-Semitic. We, we knew that was going to happen. But even with that, she still got reelected. And I have a feeling that this will hopefully encourage more uh, politicians. Is Things start out as a trickle, may not become a floodgate of politicians criticizing Israel, but it starts out as a trickle maybe. Maybe more politicians will begin to do this. Once um, Bernie Sanders, he got pretty close to winning the uh, Democratic nomination two times in a row. My point is that the, t the tide is changing. We're not all getting our news from the same three or four places anymore. And so we'll see, inshallah. We'll see. Um, hopefully this continues and more and more people will be able to speak out against what Israel is doing in Palestine. And I'm more hopeful for the Palestinian cause, for some sort of relief for the Palestinian people in the future. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a two-state solution or even a one-state solution, but I'm, I'm more hopeful that some of the persecution, I don't know how else to put it, but the outright racism and persecution the Palestinians have been living under, the unjust conditions the Palestinians have been living under for, I don't know, almost 100 years now, uh, about 80 years, I guess, still, I'm hopeful, inshallah, that it's going to be coming, at least be at least ease up for them in the future, inshallah. May Allah make it easy for them. So, um, that's my recap for the previous for this season, uh, season six. For season seven, inshallah, we're going to leave the Middle East, 
We're going to get out of the Middle East for, for hopefully for a while. And we're going to go up into the Caucasus or, yeah, I guess it's the Caucasus. We're going to basically talk about the, Bos- the Bosnian conflict from the 1990s. At this point in time that I'm recording this episode in December 2020, I'm still doing research on it. Actually, the brothers helped me doing research on it. So I don't think season seven will be ready until the fall of 2021, inshallah. After we wrap up with Bosnia, I'm thinking for season eight, I know I'm thinking two two seasons in advance, we'll be able to discuss the Mughal Empire, inshallah. So it's going to be a, a little bit of time before you actually get to hear anything or anything new. In the meantime... You may want to consider joining Islamic History Exclusive. As I mentioned throughout this season, as you've heard many, many times, hopefully, we got two membership levels over there, one free and one paid. The free one is going to get you season zero when I didn't know what I was doing, season one when I kind of knew what I was doing, and all the bonus episodes where you get a mixed bag of good and bad. But it's all there, and that's all for free. If you go for the paid level, which is $48 a year, uh, $4 a month, basically, You get all of that good stuff, season zero, season one, all the bonus episodes, and also the series we did on Salahuddin al-Ayubi and Ibn Zubair. And I hope by the time that you're listening to this in April 2021, I'm hoping that our series on the Umayyad Caliphate will also be available for those on the paid level, inshallah. So brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, this was a good season, even though we talked about some difficult topics. Alhamdulillah, I'm glad we got to cover this. All praises are to Allah, and any mistakes are for me, and I hope I don't have that many, but I'm pretty sure there are some. Anyway, I thank you for your support. Inshallah, I'll see you next season. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.